0: Welcome back to One Decision, I'm Julia McFarlane. I'm away this week and so we are bringing on the talented Helena Humphrey, lead anchor of Euronews Tonight and former global correspondent at NBC and MSNBC. Helena will be speaking with Ukraine's deputy chairman in charge of protecting Ukraine's digital infrastructure, and our regular co-host, Sir Richard Dearlove, who himself revealed on One Decision recently that he has been the subject of a personal targeted cyber attack by the Russians. We'll learn
1: more about what's under threat and what's to come. Julia, thanks for having me. Great to be sitting in the guest co-host seat today. Now, believe it or not, the war in Ukraine has rumbled on into its third month. Three months of heavy bombardment, leaving few areas of the country unspared, and three months of stepped-up cyber as well, leaving the Ukrainians fighting a war on two fronts. The first shells in this battle were actually fired in cyberspace. That's the conclusion of a report by Microsoft. And on the 23rd of February 2022, the eve of Russia's land invasion of Ukraine, as thousands of troops mustered on the country's borders poised to attack, in cyberspace the bad actors were already acting, hitting Ukraine's government websites, banks, IT and agricultural companies with a series of of denial-of-service attacks, disrupting communication. And the fallout wasn't confined to Ukraine either the ripple effects were felt in Central Europe, where the sales of wind turbines stood still and modems were taken offline. It was enough to prompt the US Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco to warn that for allies of Ukraine, it was time to put up their defenses. Given the the very high tensions that we are experiencing, Companies of any size and of all sizes would be foolish not to be preparing right now as we speak um, to increase their defenses, to uh, do things like patching, to um, heighten their alert, to be monitoring in real time um, their cybersecurity. They need to be, as we say, shields up. And even with their shields up, in Kyiv, authorities say since the start of the war, the country has sustained over 600 cyber attacks. That's triple the usual level. The damage wrought may be less visible than that of aerial bombardments and missile fire, but it is a key piece of the Kremlin's war on Ukraine, blending boots on the ground with bots in cyberspace, all in a bid to paralyse the government and sow discord among the population. And while the current level of cyber attacks may be unprecedented, it's not an entirely new approach either. When I spoke to Viktor Zora, the deputy chairman of Ukraine's State Service of Special Communication and Information Protection, he explained to me that Russian hacking has been a persistent threat to his country since the annexation of Crimea in 2014. We caught up as he was travelling around the capital to reinforce cyber defence capabilities. Victor, welcome. Thanks so much for being with us. I want to dig into your area of expertise in just a moment, but of course, first, I want to ask you, as I'd ask anyone in Ukraine right now, where are you and what is the situation there? Uh,
2: well, thank you, Anna Kiev. Uh, right now, for more than a month, uh, since the uh, risk of uh, um, invasion to Kiev uh, is uh, very low, uh, we are back and uh, we try to. Uh, recover all processes that we have in Kiev uh, uh, before the war. Um, so uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's continue being uh, rather complicated uh, since, uh, uh, we have uh, martial law here and, uh, we have, uh, a lot of, uh, restrictions, but uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, Kiev, uh, uh renew, uh, renews its, uh, normal living. So n- n- now, now, I'm performing some tasks uh, for my service and, uh, uh, uh moving across the city
1: Well, Victor, good to hear that you've managed to get back to the capital. Let's go back to the eve of Russia officially invading Ukraine on the 24th of February this year. And as you well know, there was a series of large scale cyber attacks targeting Ukraine, which the UK, the US, the European Union now say were carried out by Russia, something that the Kremlin denies. But I want to ask you, what has the impact of those cyber attacks been and how have you felt and experienced them there in Ukraine?
2: Well, uh, we should understand that Ukraine is uh, under constant aggression uh, for more than uh, eight years uh, and uh, uh, it's a hybrid aggression with uh, the cyber warfare component uh, uh, in this hybrid aggression Uh, and uh, it lasts for uh, eight years, as I said, started from the attacks on the uh, Ukrainian election system in May uh, 2014. Uh, followed with the number of attacks on Ukrainian energy grid, number of attacks on uh, Ukrainian government entities and, uh, and much more. Um, the active phase of this uh, cyber aggression uh, started on uh, January 14th uh, this year. Uh, with the massive uh, defacement of uh, government websites uh, using of wiper malware and uh, disrupting of uh, uh, IT infrastructures of slum agencies uh, and uh, it was followed uh, later in February with a huge DDOS attacks uh, and then followed unfortunately with the uh, the f- full-scale invasion uh, to Ukraine on 24th of February. And during this active phase of war, uh, which lasts for three months, we uh, observe uh, uh, a lot of kinetic attacks, a lot of uh, destructive actions, and uh, uh, from uh, Russian uh, uh, military forces, through Russian terrorists, uh, uh, which are combined with uh, uh, cyber operations. So, uh, again, it's a uh, Uh, It's a hybrid warfare uh, and probably the first time when the full-scale war is combined with cyber war at the same time.
1: That's interesting what you're saying there, essentially describing a new front line in this war. Cyber war is part of a broader hybrid war. And something I'm curious about is to what extent do you believe that attacks on the ground actually end up happening in concert with cyber attacks?
2: Uh, Yes, for sure. So uh, their strategy is... uh, to use all kind of weapon, including cyber weapon and the activity of APT groups, uh, to uh, to attack uh, uh, Ukrainians critical infrastructure, uh, to attack cyber grids, uh, to attack uh, um, uh, public uh, entities, uh, uh, to attack financial organizations, uh, even charities and uh, uh, supply chains. Uh, uh, that's uh, uh, that is combined with the attacks. For example, Ukrainian railways and uh, uh, physical attacks. I mean shelling of uh, um, Ukrainian transportation nodes, etc, etc to prevent uh, uh, logistics and supply of our uh, armed forces uh, and supply of uh, humanitarian, uh, um, humanitarian um, aid, etc, uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera.
1: Okay, so something like attacking food security is also attacking a civilian target even if it is through cyber means. And I wonder, is this a new frontier of hybrid warfare? Can there be The same kind of accountability? Can you hold actors to account in the same way that you would for other crimes, for example, which, if you were to carry out militarily on the ground, could amount to a war crime?
2: For sure, Uh, we are collecting evidences and proofs of uh, Russian cyber aggressions uh, and uh, all all attacks that we are attributing to Russian military hackers and state-sponsored actors. And we we collect them and uh, we'll send uh, them to the ICC together with all proofs of uh, Russian war crimes on the territory of Ukraine. Since, uh, as uh, ag- again, I, w- I will uh, um, I will confirm that uh, uh, most of these attacks are targeting uh, Ukrainian civilian infrastructure instead of military. And uh, of course, we will not uh, target. Uh, their civilian infrastructure uh, uh, in any way kinetic or uh, cyber operations uh, of co- of course not uh, but uh, we are on our land and we will do our best to uh, to defend uh, our land and our country and if it uh, require any uh, any actions uh, against uh, uh, russian cyber terrorists we will think about uh, Um, uh, extending our abilities.
1: Well, Victor, I want to try and end on an optimistic note then and talk about the end game in this war, because President Zelensky has always been very clear that war ends with a diplomatic solution. It ends with a peace accord. How does a cyber war end? Can it?
2: Well, it's a very good question, by the way. (laughs) And uh, this uh, never happened. So we are probably in time of uh, first uh, global cyber war and 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 of course uh, i don't think that uh, the world has enough mechanisms and tools to prevent cyber aggression and uh, a lot of lessons should be carried out from this situation but uh, uh, with regards to global aggression uh, i mean from uh, from Russia Federation, if they are stopped and uh, uh, they uh, are disarmed and demilitarized, uh, I believe that uh, the cyber aggression and uh, their supremacy uh, will also uh, uh, will come to end. And uh, again, this is a very important topic to be discussed on a diplomatic level and included to all uh, to all agreements. Uh, uh, in, in the end of war, that is very important, and if it happens, uh, I believe that uh, uh, our world uh, uh, and our uh, cyber uh, space will be much more safe than earlier. But all the lessons uh, uh, from this cyber aggression should be uh, should be scaled um, for uh, for preventing. Uh, should be used to prevent uh, the potential aggression in the future. That is very important uh, to have a reliable mechanism of uh, preventing and this is, uh, this is a global task uh, uh, probably for the United Nations and for NATO and for other structures uh, that are responsible for keeping, uh, for keeping uh, peace uh, on Earth and uh, uh, for keeping safety in cyberspace as well.
1: Now, if I could ask you briefly to make a prediction based on your experience there in Ukraine, which countries do you think around the world could be facing a large-scale cyber attack at the hands of Russia?
2: Well, we see that uh, Ukraine isn't the only target. Uh, Russians uh, targeted targeted. Uh, United States, a lot of European countries. Uh, um, and uh, the uh, latest uh, declaration from KillNet uh, mentioned 10 countries, and I don't think uh, uh, um, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't consider this uh, statement as uh, a serious one. But uh, the name of country, uh, of course, uh, um, uh, was mentioned uh, according to to their policy. So it's kind of a state policy, and uh, it uh, uh, it is um, uh, implemented through such kind of statements. So we, we, we can see we can see these the the countries in this list, and to my opinion, the of course um, uh, targets are very close to to real. Uh, and if you see the uh, global uh, global targets uh, in the recent uh, years, uh, we see that it's not only Ukraine, it's the United States, uh, uh, the democracies in uh, Europe, uh, and many 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 other uh, countries. Again. Cybersecurity is a global task.
1: All right, Victor Zora, Deputy Chairman at the State Services Special Communication and Information Protection of Ukraine. Great to talk to you. Thanks for sharing your insights with us.
2: Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for supporting Ukraine.
1: At the end of that interview, you'll have heard Victor mention Killnet. That's a pro-Russian hacker group, and earlier this month, they quote-unquote declared war on 10 countries, saying they'll target the United States, Great Britain, Germany, Italy, Latvia, Romania, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland and Ukraine. In short, countries supporting Kyiv. And he told me that global food security could be in Russia's crosshairs if it decided to hack smart farming systems, presenting a risk for all of us. So I sat down with Sir Richard Dearlove, the former head of MI6, to find out to what extent he thought those kinds of threats could come to fruition and what we should be doing about it. Sir Richard, great to have you with us. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing fine, despite these challenging and difficult times.
1: Well put. And talking about these challenging times, particularly challenging times, of course, for Ukraine, facing a dual threat, that dual war. In fact, one that blends kinetic warfare, war on the ground with cyber capabilities, cyber attacks against it. How much of a challenge do you think that is for a country?
0: Well, I think it's a huge challenge on both fronts. I mean, you know, we've seen the Russian military deploy its massive power uh, badly in the initial stages but now I suppose you could say they're getting their act together and doing what they traditionally do which is use massive kinetic power and massive ordnance uh, to sort of blow their opponents away including you know, destroying and devastating the towns that they're attacking and killing some of the civilian population but of course there is then the hidden dimension which is you know what's happening on the cyber side and it's probably overall strategically just as important as what's happening militarily on the ground and you know we're not used really to perceiving warfare in these terms
1: so richard you talk about the hidden dimension of cyber warfare you are someone who, for most of your career, you've dealt with hidden dimensions. And talking about that, I wonder in your experience, if you've ever really seen anything like this, because it strikes me when analysing these kinds of situations that I often reach for the phrase past as prologue to work out how they could unfold next. But have we ever really seen anything like this level of cyber capabilities and military capabilities at the same time? Or is this hybrid warfare something relatively unprecedented?
0: I'm not sure it is unprecedented. If you look back at Russia's past aggressions and engagements, you look at, for example, events in Georgia, or you look at some of the crises in the Baltic republics, we have seen them already deploy very powerful cyber weapons uh, in order to give uh, themselves, you know, either a strategic advantage or you know interference or to demonstrate their ability to interfere you know in the critical infrastructure, for example, of another country. But I, I, I really do think the, the clues are there and the experts will be tracking the technical side of this war very, very closely.
1: Talking about those clues, you yourself, talking to your contacts, your former colleagues in the intelligence community, are they preparing for something bigger? Or is there also the sense for Western allies that perhaps they're actually woefully underprepared despite those clues and they risk being caught out? Because we only have to point to the fact that in the months leading up to the kinetic invasion of Ukraine, there were a lot of people who were caught out with their reading of Russia. Let's be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I would admit that I myself had not believed Putin would take such an extraordinary decision as to invade on the scale that he did. I thought that the preparations for invasion were more an act of intimidation that they might step up the military activity in the Donbass and Luhansk regions where there's been a conflict since 2014 and bite off more Ukrainian territory, which is actually where we've ended up. But on the other hand, you have to, as it were, Admit that the intelligence predictions made by the Russians and by the UK turned out to be precisely accurate, and I would imagine that a lot of that material was derived not from human sources but from technical sources, partly from overhead—that's um, satellite surveillance of on the ground, uh, you know, of what was happening on the ground and you know what that military activity meant.
1: Well, let's take our cue then from what you've just said about how the invasion actually unfolded. Many people were predicting that it may just focus on the east, it may just focus on the Donbass. And if we apply that symmetry that we've actually seen in cyber warfare that's being carried out, do you think we could see an escalation, that we should prepare for that? Or, on the other hand, do you think that there's been some kind of saber rattling when it comes to what is happening in cyberspace and that actually, in the same way, let's be honest, that many had overestimated the capability of the Russian military, so too we may have overestimated the capability of their cyber army? Because, as Viktor Zora pointed out when I spoke to him, Russians haven't been able to deliver a knockout blow yet to Ukraine when it comes to the cyber front. They've knocked out power twice. The Ukrainians have managed to thwart them on a third attempt, but they haven't quite got there yet.
0: No, I'm I'm surprised that they haven't, in a way, been more successful. And, you know, it's quite clear that the failures on the Russian side are not just military on the ground. There seem to be uh, technical failures or tech, Technical sort of incompetence, and uh, I mean, I think some of the stories of uh, Russian units having to use mobile phones <laughs> to communicate uh, is indicative of that failure. Because, of course, uh, it means uh, insecure communication uh, on the battlefield. It also means that you know they can be geolocated, or there are all sorts of follow-ons. And, and assuming that the Ukrainians are getting some quite sophisticated help um, from those countries that are, as it were, turning out to be their closer allies, um, yeah, I think it's surprising how how well, um, given the sort of overwhelming capability that Russia should be able to deploy, it doesn't appear yet that they have secured any significant advantage. I think I would put it as strongly as that.
1: Why do you think that is? Is it the case, perhaps, that the chiefs of the cyber forces haven't been able to speak truthfully to President Putin? Have they not been able to prepare?
0: I would say in, – in, and I was talking to someone recently in, in Central Europe who knows quite a lot about this area – I would say probably lack of preparation, lack of training, possibly corruption, in terms of things that supposedly have been financed and prepared the money, the equipment going astray. Um, I mean, these these areas require really significant attention to develop a high level world-class capability, huge discipline, self-discipline, and what it suggests, I and mean, the whole business of the Ukrainian war suggests to me that, you know, there that, that there is a rottenness, there is a weakness that is endemic in the Russian state, the Russian regime, as it now is. And, and that would certainly flood into the technical, I mean, it would definitely flood into the technical domain.
1: I want to talk about escalation and potential retaliation when it comes to Western allies on the cyber war front in just a moment. But first, something I'm curious about is that now we are seeing strides being made on the Russian side in Donbass. And you could argue that that would buy the Russian military a little bit more time to regroup and to prepare further attacks. And I'm wondering in using cyber warfare, for example, when we look at the occupation of the nuclear power plant in Zaporizhia, for example, which saw Russian troops put at considerable risk, and we're seeing heavy Russian losses right now. Do you think in the future that President Putin may wish to use these kinds of cyber warfare means to achieve considerable aims on the ground, while also minimising collateral damage to his own troops?
0: Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. I I, I think the more that Russian weakness is exposed in this conflict, the more serious becomes the threat of escalation as the Russians try to recoup ground, try to recoup something of their reputation, um, you know, try to push the dividing line, which will, you know, inevitably I think split part of Ukraine um, off under Russian control to push that westwards. And, I mean, the Ukrainians still, I would imagine, think that they can win um, or win back a lot of what the Russians have taken. And the Russians have been humiliated and, as it were, need to show that they've achieved some military success. And and I think that the cyber part of this is very, very important because, um Russia, theoretically at least, does have what we thought was a formidable capability to do all sorts of things and interfere, you know, in the critical infrastructure of Ukraine. And of course, the longer this goes on, the more sophisticated the Ukrainians themselves become in in, in responding. And I think one of the extraordinary things is the number of, let's say, sort of private hackers and people that have rallied to the Ukrainian
1: cause. Absolutely. And when I spoke to Victor, he mentioned around 400,000 volunteer hackers working on behalf of Ukrainians. He said that he couldn't endorse them, but he was very thankful for them. And I'd have to imagine going beyond just volunteer hackers, that global intelligence agencies around the world are probably working overtime right now. GCHQ for one, it's probably working overtime. And to what extent, in your experience, do you think that the global intelligence agencies and community are also involved in operations of defence against the Kremlin right now, side by side?
0: Well, I mean, uh, there will be a huge amount of technical uh, coverage and analysis being conducted across the Western world and its allies. Um, And, you know, more and more states have significant capability in this area, and will be sharing um, material, sharing, tasking. So the Russians will be up against you know, a formidable set of problems the longer that this goes on. And I mean, let's face it, the Americans do have an extraordinary capability. Um, the UK's capability is small, but very sophisticated. Um, and then, you know, you if you add into the mix the Europeans, um, I mean, some of the Baltics, like Sweden uh, and Norway, are, are, are hugely capable in these areas too. Um, so, I mean, the... When you add up what NATO countries could 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 unleash and deploy, the Russians have a, will have a hard task, and this will give huge assistance to the Ukrainians as well.
1: If the Kremlin's cognizant of that, of the huge capabilities, the help from allies, where does that leave them then in terms of being open to risks of escalation? Even myself, you know, on a personal level, I wondered when this invasion started. Are we bracing for large-scale cyber attacks in the European Union, the UK, the US? Will we be directly targeted? You know, I'm not talking about spillover, for example, from attacks on Ukraine that we already saw in Central Europe, but should we expect that in response to sanctions, do you think? Yeah, I think the Russians will,
0: you know, become more aggressive and will go after more opportunities and it's not as though you know they're blind i mean they will have done lots of preparatory and targeting work just on a routine basis so i mean i think that there will be all sorts of vulnerabilities and opportunities they'll be trying to exploit uh, I, I mean it, it's it's just hit the uk press in the last 48 hours but i mean i've been the object of a significant uh, Russian operation, which is absolutely crystal clear, uh, Russian um, cyber attack, um, uh, which has been on my and others' personal emails. Um, And these have been stuck in the hands of um, very, in my view, disreputable investigative journalists whose Russian credentials are absolutely crystal clear. And, you know, they've been adapted, threaded together <laughs> to create a story or a scenario which, you know, if it was bleed, fortunately it's not, it's, it would be, would be uh, very, very unpleasant. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's extraordinary that, you know, the Russians are prepared to go after essentially private citizens who are leading, uh, you know, innocent lives. Uh, You know, I retired 18 years ago from Crown service. Um, I'm very flattered that I'm thought to be such an important, important individual.
1: Well, bringing it on a more serious note, and it is great that you can laugh about it, Sir Richard, but in terms of what people could be facing, where do you think, well, let's just put it this way, which countries do you think could be first in line when it comes to a significant cyber attack next in this war outside of Ukraine?
0: Well, those that are you know, helping Ukraine the most. Uh, I mean, somewhere like the Czech Republic, you know, which is close ge- geographically and geopolitically and has been giving very sophisticated modern um, equipment to the Ukrainians. They, you know, would be an obvious target. Um, the polls will be an obvious target. I think the UK um, will come pretty high up the list and you know maybe the Russians, but I, I think the Russians will 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 at the moment be be cautious um, about escalating. Uh, I mean, I think I agree with the care that NATO has taken so far to ensure that there is no direct conflict between NATO troops and and, and the Russian military. So that you know this hasn't turned into a war between Russia and NATO. And, and and I think we're right to do everything to try to avoid that risk.
1: Look, what should the average person be doing then? What should I be doing if we are in a climate in which there is the possibility for a cyber attack in the UK and in the EU?
0: Relax. <laughs> Well, I think that the important thing is, is to make sure that you've got in place the sort of basic defences, you've got a basic understanding of what your vulnerability, where your vulnerabilities are. I mean, you know, vulnerabilities for different firms and, you know, different organisations are are variable. And, you know, if you've got an accurate IT risk register, you know what you need to protect. Um, And, you know, you, you need as it were, you're, you need good fallback arrangements that will, you know, replicate your systems if they happen to go down. I mean, I think if you're an individual, uh, you know, you shouldn't, you you're, you're probably not going to, as it were, come to the attention of the Russian state. Uh, you know, in my case perhaps is
1: exceptional. I think most of us aren't important enough, which is probably good news.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so I I mean I wouldn't worry about it. But then on the other hand, you know, basic cyber um, uh, discipline uh, I think is an essential part of anybody having a computer. Just the most straightforward, and and, you know, like changing your password and using your computer in a way which is sensible. And I mean, if you uh, if you take my particular case, where it's clear that you know this is a Russian state operation. I think trying to protect yourselves against that I described it like sending out the pub football team to play Manchester United. <laughs> I mean as an individual there's not much you can do except not use your IT in a way which you know might you might regret at, at some point in the future. I mean I think the bottom line is any type of information technology has its weaknesses or insecurities, however sophisticated you are.
1: There's another facet to cyber war and that is the information war as well, which is also being waged online. And you talk about those risks to young people and they're really in the nexus as frequent social media users. And recently we've had Twitter taking more efforts to prevent the spread of misinformation about this war. But I also wonder to what extent should the West be more alert, should prevent Russia's media from spreading fake news about the war? And from your experience, how harmful can propaganda wars be in this? Because we know that this is something, we know that this is definitely an objective of the Kremlin to sow discord among populations. Yeah,
0: That's a huge dimension, you know, of the contest. Let's say in this case between East and West, uh, and it's illustrated in almost any uh, you know geopolitical contest or issue that you care to look at closely. And and uh, and I think at the moment with Russia, you, you know, you 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 see that contest for control of the narrative, which interestingly. Ukraine, I think, is clearly winning, but it just shows that if you have a president, I mean, Zelensky's a professional actor, uh, a a man who's massively at ease in front of the television cameras. Um, I mean, in a way, he reminds me of Reagan, you know, who, who, who was similarly, you know, brought up in front of a film camera. And Zelensky's been absolutely brilliant um, at crafting and dominating the story, whereas, you know, the sickening Putin with his puffy face and his inability, you know, to communicate in a warm fashion with any single individual has become something of a horror story. And you've got this massive discrepancy between the two presentations.
1: We're talking about Putin and alluding to his health as you just did then. You said on one decision that you thought Putin will be out by 2023 and quoting you here, you said via a sanatorium um, from which he'll not emerge as president. And I wonder where would that leave a cyber war? Even if the military kinetic war on the ground is all said and done, is this something that we live with that just rumbles on indefinitely? or can you draw a line in the sand and say cyber war ends here as well
0: no i mean clearly you know if this conflict does you know grind to a halted confrontation or whatever you, or or even if you know there's a sort of predominant outcome say the ukrainians you know drive the russians back beyond their original lines um i think that it will become, the military conflict will become frozen, but the cyber conflict will continue, you know, in the ethereal dimension. It'll just carry on because the Russians are not going to stop and the Ukrainians will need or have to respond and defend themselves. And, of course, you know, there is, there, you know, in a way, we, you know, we're witnessing a war, Uh, in the media to discern, you know, the future of Putin himself. And I mean, that has to be a a dimension of the conflict. And, you know, clearly there's something seriously wrong with him. I don't think anyone is disputing that now. Um, You know, the question is, how long is he going to last? But um, clearly the Russians have a huge... A uh, presentational problem because of the condition that Putin seems to be in.
1: And we certainly know that unfortunately around the world, dictators love to take pages out of each other's playbooks. So where do you think, looking forward, looking past even this particular conflict, that we could see this kind of hybrid war replicated in hotspots around the world?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I would say it's already started with China um, you know, China uh, cyber activity is very aggressive towards the West. Um, their attempt to you know steal commercial secrets is, is highly developed, and of course, y- y- you've got partial conflicts already across the border with India, um, problems in the South China Sea. Uh, the problems over North, I mean, all, all of all of North Korea, all of these issues have a cyber dimension. And they're already, in a way, in cyber space, probably more developed and more sophisticated than we already realise.
1: That's an interesting aspect that you raised, though, because I asked you before about where does Russia lash out next in terms of this conflict, in terms of Western allies? Do you think that there's the risk that while we're all busy looking at Moscow, looking at the Kremlin, looking at the GRU military unit, that actually the West could be facing. That actually the West could be facing a far greater risk from the likes of China. In the meantime, that whilst we're looking the other way, we could actually be letting our guard down on that front.
0: Well, we definitely should. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that on in terms of you know their cyber aggressiveness, that Chinese will be taking advantage of our preoccupation or trying to take advantage. Um, I I, I mean, uh, they won't stop. Just, well, they they, they certainly won't. And and, I mean, it's a good question. And, you know, it's a good thing for people to keep in mind. And uh, I mean, I think it's very interesting that Biden recently, you know, goes to southeast asia and meets the japanese and singaporean um, leaders um, and i think this is very much reflective of the fact that the americans understand very well that those countries have a hugely important role to play actually in the in the current conflict of how they you know express views in relation to russia but at the same time they're crucial uh, allies in you know keeping a close eye on what's happening in China.
1: Well, what about China acting in concert with Russia when it comes to cyber capabilities then? Because we know that President Xi found himself trying to walk something of a diplomatic tightrope, didn't he, in terms of being asked to support Russia militarily and then on a public stage having to call for a cessation of hostilities in Ukraine. Do you think there's the potential? Do you think there's the possibility that China could be working hand in hand with Russia when it comes to cyber attacks or at least lending some kind of expertise?
0: Well, I'm sure that there's a degree of cooperation between them. and I, I, I honestly don't know how close it is. My guess would be that both sides will have joint projects, but will not, as it were, be moving towards any sort of integrated effort. I mean, the sensitivity of these areas is such that you don't necessarily share your crown jewels with your closest allies or your closer allies, but there will be areas of jointry and projects which they undertake together.
1: We'll we'll have to see, but for now, Sir Richard, it was a pleasure to hear your thoughts. Thanks so much for chatting.
0: Well, very much. Enjoyed talking to you, Hannah.
1: That's all for this episode of One Decision. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. New shows drop every Thursday. From me and the entire team, thanks for listening and bye for now.